Stop bowing your head right there where you are just for a minute. We've uh, just been led in a really wonderful time of worship. And, um, you know, I love it because good worship transcends um, rhythm and volume. It's the words and the intent of the songs. And we've just been immersed in wonderful worship. And this last song, Jenny and the band... We just need to pause and say, God, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your love and your mercy. So just take a moment and do that. You know, I don't believe in accidents. I really think God is sovereign and he ties and puts everything together. And if you're here today, and we know George, I didn't know George was going to be 80. I, I kind of like to say, God, if, if one, I kind of hope to be 80 in breathing. And, and two, God, I kind of like be as handsome as George is when I'm 80. Um, that wouldn't be a bad deal, but we're so, we celebrate his birthday and so glad to have his family with us. And it's no accident that all that family's there today. So if you're listening on the radio and you happen to tune in today, that's not an accident. So let's pray right now that God will just give us a, a jewel to take home today from his word. We've already experienced so much in worship. Let's ask him now to help us to experience his word in the same powerful way. Father, we do love you. I am overwhelmed this morning by your grace and mercy and love. Thank you for the gift of music and how you've enabled songwriters to put words together. um, Different rhythms that some inspire like I got saved and others are slower and more, make us more complicated. And just think in this last song uh, based on scripture. And even if I make my way to hell, you'll lead me home. How powerful is that? Thank you that your grace is so sufficient. Now, God, we pray today that you'll help me to remember and recall and to present the word today just as you would want it. And I want to pray, Holy Spirit, to just fill this place, to to just electrify this place with your presence And for the person here who's never experienced this thing called grace, may today be their homecoming day. May today be the day they discover forgiveness and what life is really all about. For each one of us who have trusted Christ and we're Christ's followers and we've experienced grace, may we have a deeper and better understanding of that. But more than that, may we just enjoy. May we just enjoy your amazing grace. I want to thank you for our church, for our church family. For all the people who work so hard to make all this happen, teachers and, and ushers and worship teams, all of that, they work together. Even old Bert puts up the chairs every week and takes them down every week. Father, thank you so much for Dorisville. Thank you for allowing us to have what we have here at our church. Now, we give this thing to you today, and we pray, God, that you will bless us uh, through your word. And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. Is God good? I mean, this song just really blessed my heart today. It's just, it's just like, a, it's like an oasis, a fresh wind um, that came. And we're so glad you came today. Thank you for coming. And George, we certainly do celebrate your birthday. And I do hope I'm that good looking, when, if I am alive when I'm 80, to be as good looking as that. I may even try the mustache thing. I've never had one of those. Uh, I think it would get in my food, but, but I may try it. You never can tell. Especially as this goes, I may be driven to put it somewhere else. You know, hair is hair, so if you're going to be bald, you might as well have it somewhere else, right, Brent? You might as well have it somewhere else. Hey, listen, we start a new series today. Um, again, you know, and I, a while back, probably about three years ago, I preached a message on the Weather Channel, and it's W-H-E-T-H-E-R, not weather like the lightning, but weather, whether we'll decide to follow Christ. We did that, and I filed that away and wanted to do another message series on something like that. Well, as I started studying for that series, it just wasn't coming together. And then that's when I got the idea for not the Weather Channel, but the Grace Channel. And you saw the logo. It's kind of like the Weather Channel. And it's where grace changed history. And here's the bottom line. It did. And it does. It changes our personal history. When we experience grace, it changes 
our personal history, but it's changed the entire history of the world. So what we're going to do over the next five weeks, we're going to take different guys from the Old Testament. We've got five of them picked out, and we're going to look at their life and see how, how they responded to God's grace, how God extended grace, and how they responded to that grace, and how it impacted history. And again, hopefully, as we do that, we're going to learn, and we're going to realize how God has impacted our history. Now, here's the deal. The book has to be a book of grace, because I know we have a tendency to think about people in the Bible and how perfect they were. And I really appreciate what Rebecca said one day. They were studying in Sunday school, and they were going kind of through like some of the Old Testament. And, and she said, you know, there really are no good examples in the, old, in, in the Bible. I mean, you know, you understand the Bible is a bunch of broken people. And any concept that you've got that, that oh, well, the Bible's filled with people who really had it together, they did not. So feel better today. If you're in your life and you know, you're going through life and your life is not together, man, hey, celebrate. You've got good company because the Bible is filled with broken people desperately in need of redemption and rescue, and they did not have it together. In fact, to illustrate that, I, I got this reading. I had it in my little folder I keep for things like this. And, um, you know, it's just really, it just really helps us understand how broken people were in the Bible. You know, it starts out by saying, there are many reasons why God should not have called you to be his child. You know, so unworthy. So, so don't worry. Um, you're in good company. And I added to this from what the guy said, and you could like add a whole bunch more. Like Adam and Eve. Well, they totally blew it. I mean, they were in paradise and messed it all up. It's all their fault. Okay? So Mary, Adam and Eve, they, they totally blew it. Moses stuttered and did not want to serve God. David was too small. His armor didn't fit. And later, he had the infamous affair and then committed murder. David, a man of God's own heart, affair and committed murder. Um, John Mark. Now, some of these people I know you'll say, well, who is John Mark? Trust me, they're guys in the Bible and girls in the Bible. Okay? So John Mark was a quitter. And then because of that... The Apostle Paul couldn't get over it for a long time. And Paul, like, said, I'm done with you for a while. Um, Timothy. <laughs> Timothy would be like me. Timothy had ulcers from worrying what people thought. You know? Anybody here guilty of that little deal? You know, I'm always wondering, well, what if they like me? What if they don't like me? What if they like the sermon, didn't like the sermon? Am I too tall, too short, too fat, too thin? You know, worrying about what people thought. Hey, Hosea's wife, that's a, pro that's a uh, prophet. Hosea's wife was a prostitute, all right? Uh, Amos, another prophet, uh, he didn't go to seminary. His only schooling was fig tree pruning. I'm sure he was well qualified. Um, Jacob, one of the guys we're going to look at later on, was a liar and a deceiver. Um, Solomon was too rich. I mean, he's like the wealthiest guy in the world. But he finished his life horribly. I, I don't know if you know about Solomon's life. He's, of course, this is King David's son. Okay? But he really, the, the guy who wrote Proverbs, you know, like, like this is how you do life, really messed it up in the end. Okay? Um, Abraham. Abraham was too old and then he wimped out on his wife twice, twice, okay? Um, Peter was afraid to die, and then he denied he even knew Jesus three times. Lazarus was dead. John, the apostle John, was a little self-righteous. Should we call down fire on them, John said? Naomi was a widow with a little bitter problem. <laughs> she was one bitter lady, mad at God, mad at God. Paul was, now listen, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote a chunk of the New Testament, yeah, he was a murderer. Um, Moses, yeah, he also, I mentioned him once, but I'll give him a repeat reference, he also was a murderer. Um, Jonah ran from God and was a bigot. You know, racism's a really big topic these days. Well... Jonah was racist. I mean, big time, all right? Miriam was a gossip. Um, Gideon and Thomas were both doubters. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. 
Elijah was burned out and depressed and suicidal. Um, John the Baptist was a loud mouth. Good preacher, by the way. Uh, Martha was a worry wart. Mary, her sister, was lazy, always sitting around at the feet of Jesus. Samson had long hair and probably tattoos and probably had some piercings going on somewhere. And he was infatuated with women, I'm, which is a, not a bad thing, but multiple women. Okay? Um, Noah got drunk. Uh, would not make a good Baptist. Um, did, <laughs> You might as well laugh a little bit if you're going to come to church. Um, and then Moses, I mentioned him before and, and before. Well, Moses had a short fuse. I mean, a temper problem. And so did Peter. And so did Paul. And so did a lot of other folks. And that's a short list of all the broken people in the Bible. My point being is if it wasn't for God's grace, the Bible would be a really short book. Because there'd be nobody in it. So we're going to take time today and look at a man named Noah. Look at him. And really today, we don't get to see his shortcomings again. Later on in the story, he gets drunk. And, well, it's a long story. But anyway, he gets drunk. And uh, so today, though, we want to look at how God used him in the, in the ark situation but why did God use him? So here's what we're going to do. So get ready. We're going to jump off into Hebrews chapter 11. So go and get your Bibles and open there. We'll have it on the screen for you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7. We're going to jump off there. And then we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 6 and look at a chunk of the story about Noah. That's kind of where we're going today. And all of this, again, wraps around with God's amazing grace. So keep that in mind over and over again. It all wraps around God's amazing grace. So here's what the author of Hebrews, and we're not sure who wrote the author of uh, Hebrews, who the author is, but in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, here's what the author said about Noah. He starts out with two words, by faith. Now, there don't, again, I know this is stuff you know. If you've been in church around a while and you sing a few songs and you read a few verses, you kind of get this. But keep in mind, there are two key words in the Bible that are hugely important, and that is faith and grace. Faith and grace. You know, Ephesians 2 8 9, which we love to quote, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace through faith. Those are two. Big words, big key words in, in the Bible pertaining to God and us and our salvation. So it was by faith, and what happened? By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, what had not happened, and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. Let me tell you what Oswald Chambers said about faith. He said this, the life of faith is not a life of mounting up with wings, but a life of walking and not fainting. Now listen, listen, listen. Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. And that really ties in with Noah. Noah didn't understand all that was about to happen, but he did love God. He did love God, and he was willing to trust God, even though he did not know all where that path was going. And we, as we love God, even though we don't understand and don't know the path where God is taking us, we can trust God because he's God. So by faith, Noah, after he was warned, hey, Noah, there's going to be a flood, okay? And motivated by godly fear, his love and respect for God, he built an ark to deliver his family. And keep it in mind, just don't, let, don't lose this somewhere in the message. One, as far as we know, no one had ever built an ark before. I mean, can you imagine the business meeting at the Baptist church? I mean, can you imagine, you know, you know Noah would stand up in the Baptist church. Of course, there wasn't one. But, but he'd stand up and go, I make the motion that we build an ark. And one of the trustees stands up and says, have we ever built an ark before? And Noah said, never before. And said, well, if he's never done it, why start now? Why, why, no pun intended, why would you rock the boat? 
So, so keep in mind, there's never been an ark built. When he builds the ark, he builds it like not on a seaport. He kind of builds it in the middle of nowhere. Okay, so it's like not only not only they never built an ark before, but they said, what is this thing? It's called an ark and, and it's supposed to float on water. And they're looking around going, there isn't any water. In fact, as far as we know, it's never rained up to this point that God had kind of still watered the earth through the mist of the ground as far as the dew. As far as we know, it did not rain. So so we had this thing being built and it's like crazy. And, and Noah did it because he believed God. Because he trusted God. So, so he built an ark for the purpose of delivering his family. And watch. By faith, he condemned the world. Time out. I went, what? What does that mean? Well, I looked and looked at different commentaries and, and finally got it through my head. What he's saying is this. Now, you're going to hear it over and over again, so get ready. Okay? It's like, it's like again, in, in Genesis 6, God really wants us to understand how bad the world was. Okay, so so get ready for that coming over. But the bottom line is the world was really bad. Okay, and and Noah lived differently. Noah lived differently. He lived righteously. He lived right. And so so in a world where no one believed God, he believed God. In a world totally absent of faith, he had faith in God. In a world where no one, I mean no one, obeyed God. He obeyed God. Now, by the way, pause. In this culture we're living in where it's becoming less and less popular to be a believer, I'm sure you students have discovered in school that you know, there was a time when being a Christian might even be cool, and now it's certainly not cool. And you guys go to work wherever you work, and you kind of go, you know, it used to be like tolerable if I was a Christian. In fact, some people might go, I really respect you being a Christian. Less and less and less that is happening. And you say, I just can't live a godly life, all right? You can't live a godly life in this culture. Tell Noah that. Because his world was not a little intolerable of Christian or of God. It was totally intolerable, and yet he lived a godly life. How about that? So, so he lives this life. He condemned the world by his testimony because everyone else was going, no, God, no, no, no. And he's saying, yes, 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 yes. And then he became an... Now watch, this is huge. And he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by how? By faith. By faith. By faith. And the key thing I want you to get, and you're going to get it really big in just a minute, the key thing about grace is it's grace. We don't earn God's acceptance any other way. We can't earn God's acceptance any other way. It is grace. He had the inheritance of being declared right before God because he believed God. Because he, not because of the things he did, but because he believed God. That is huge. Are you ready to jump back in Genesis now? Okay, let's go back now about four or 5,000 years, maybe 6,000 years, and we're going back to Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse number 5, and the world is a mess. Now, keep in mind that not that many years has passed, okay, between, between Adam and Eve in the garden and this now. And the bottom line is, if you're one of those people, you bought into the story that, let me just tell you something, man. Man is not getting worse. Man is getting better. If we stick around long enough, we're getting better and better and better. And you are wrong, wrong, wrong. We are not getting better, and we won't get better. And in this case, from the time when Adam and Eve committed the first sin to now, the world is just totally depraved. I mean, it is gone south. It is in deep weeds, okay? Here's what the author says. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that, now watch, don't miss this. And that every intent was only evil continually. So as God, from his heavenly perspective, looks down on the earth... All he sees is sin and disobedience, evil and darkness. Okay? Now, here's the deal. What sin touches, it kills. 
What sin touches, it kills. And when sin came into the world, man, I tell you what, man just naturally degraded and degraded and degraded down because what sin touches, it kills. And went further south and further south and further south. Listen to this. This this is from Paul in the New Testament, Romans chapter 3, when he's talking about sin. It says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not your sweet little old grandmother, okay? Not your precious, precious little son, okay? Men, if you want to earn some points, not your wife, not your husbands. There is none righteous on our own population. There is nobody righteous. There is none. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one. All have turned aside. They become, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And that was written 4,000 years after the flood. After the flood. So, so we, have, we have the earth then, and even after God destroys mankind and leaves Noah, even man just keeps going down. So we're not getting better, okay? And we won't get better in and above ourselves. Our only hope is God's grace. That's a good place for an Amen. Our only hope, not religion, not getting done, not starting this, not starting that, not psychiatry, not psychologists, not AA. Our hope is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That cross is the hope of the world. That's why we need to do missions and spread the good news. So he's looked down and saw the intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Now watch this. This is interesting. Look at verse 6. And the Lord was sorry. Now, a better word would probably be the Lord was sorrowful. It grieved him. He's going to say it very plainly in a moment. But, But the Lord was sorrowful that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. Now, I know, listen, I know, we don't really understand um, how sin and God, we, I don't think we, because we're not holy like he's holy, we can't really grasp, you know, we say, what's wrong with a little bit of a lie? Oh, who's it hurt? If, you don't, if, if sin only hurts me, why can't I do it, okay? We don't really comprehend the evilness of sin. This gives us at least a glimpse of, of a little bit of that because we see God, it caused God to be sorrowful that he even created man and, and it grieved him. It grieved him in his heart. I know, I know when I've experienced family situations and people go through things, I felt a grief for them. Well, God, when he looks at this world and the sin, it grieves him in his heart. So the Lord said, and this is going to be hard, so get ready, okay? The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorrowful that I have made them. Now, again, you say, well, how could a good God do this? Well, you've got to understand from his perspective what he was seeing. I remember a pastor speaking one time, and he was talking about how the children of Israel were ordered to go in and destroy all these different peoples in the land of Canaan. And it really gave me an understanding when he said this. He said, what we need to understand is that some cultures, some cultures are so absolutely evil is for the good of mankind that they be eliminated. Okay, some cultures are so evil that God chose to eliminate that culture. The the cultures of the Canaanites in those areas, they did some terrible things. And God said they need to be eliminated. That culture needs to be eliminated. So the culture of the world at that time was so evil, God determined that mankind would be best served for Noah to be left and the rest of them to be eliminated. You know, over in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, there's an interesting scripture. I don't know if you ever thought about this before. You know, Adam and Eve sin. Okay, you remember that? And they, you know, God says, where are you? And they have a little conversation with Satan and God and the two of them. But the Bible says, and, you know, God says, okay, you're going to have to work for all this stuff. And they are. But then he says this in verse 24 of Genesis 3. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden... He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
Have you ever wondered about that verse? Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Was he just being mean? You know, why did God say, okay, you've messed up, Adam and Eve. Okay, I'm going to forgive you. Okay, did that. But I'm, I'm kicking you out of the garden. You had it perfect and you blew it. Get out of my garden. It's, no. Do you understand something? That the tree of life was in the garden. And God knew that they ate, that they ate from the tree of life that they would live forever in a broken body. And God in his mercy and God in his grace made sure that didn't happen. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes God does things and they look harsh from this perspective and they're actually redemptive and merciful. And then can I just throw something else out? You're really not going to like this one. If you haven't liked the message so far, you're really not going to like this one. God is God. He doesn't need my defense. He doesn't, he doesn't even need your approval. He's not like me. Y'all want to make sure you like me? God's up in heaven going, oh, I hope they like me today. I hope I perform right. He's not up there doing that. In fact, in fact, when, when Job, you know, had, you remember Job, you know the story of Job. If you don't, I have time to read it to you. I really don't, but I hope you'll read it when you get home. It's a great story in the Old Testament. But, but here's Job doing his thing, you know, and they're having this great debate and all this about God and about sin and all this stuff, you know, and they're accusing Job of being unrighteous, all these different things. Well, God finally shows up. Here's what he says to Job in Job 38, verse number 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said... Who is this? Oops. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Now, here it goes. Watch this. This is God talking to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it, the plumb line? On, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? I mean, God's going to Job. Listen, dude, you have no idea. You're, you think you're really smart and you think you've got the right to challenge me and counsel me? You don't. And congregation, I'm going to tell you the same thing. God is way smarter than us. I don't care how messed up our circumstances seem and our world seems and things why things happen and da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. God's way smarter than us. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. I know. And it's, it's easy for you to say, listen, I know this is minor. But to let you know that sometimes we have to trust God too. So, so Sarah and Blake are in Korea, right? And tomorrow morning at 6.20 in the morning, my six-year-old grandson, who has never even ridden a school bus, will first they're going to drive two miles to the base on a taxi. Then they're going to put Taylor on a school bus filled with strangers, six years old, strangers, and he's going to ride 45 minutes, 15, 16, 17 kilometers to another base and get off and go to school. I don't like that. I don't want my grandson having to get on a bus with no mommy, no daddy, no friends. He don't know anybody. But you know what? I got to believe. I got to believe my God's got his back. And sometimes we just have to believe that God's got our back even when it doesn't make sense. So God says he's going to destroy all of this. And I'm sorrowful. So in verse number 8, the Bible says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, against all this backdrop of evil and God saying, I'm going to destroy all of mankind, because it's so evil, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, here's what I need for you to do. I need for you to accept the fact, not my opinion, you need to accept the fact that verse 8 stands independent of verse number 9. You'll see why in just a minute. You've got to trust me that verse 8 stands independent. Okay? Noah 
found grace. Now, there's only one definition of grace, okay? Grace is God's, now listen, it's God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. It's the favor of God totally undeserved. Got that? And when it says that Noah found favor, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, it stands independent and it's saying that Noah found God's unmerited favor. Okay? Not that he earned it, but unmerited. Because, and the reason I need to make that clear for you is because of verse number 9. And then it says, and this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Oh, would it not be easy to go, well, yeah, that's why God chose him. No. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God extended Noah unmerited favor. It's very admirable. And it's very useful in kingdom work that he was just perfect and walked with God. But he was not Hang on. He was not accepted by God because he was just perfect in his generations or walked with God. He was not accepted by God for that reason. He was accepted by God because God extended grace to him. If you don't believe that, okay, what you've just done is destroyed salvation. You're saying because if Noah could find favor with God some other way besides the cross then he died in vain. If someone could actually be good enough where God said, you don't need blood, you don't need salvation by grace, you're good enough, we've totally wiped out the New Testament. I know it's hard because we want to say, against a backdrop of darkness, there's this righteous man. But God did not accept Noah because of that. He accepted Noah purely out of grace. And guess what? He accepts you the same way. And that's really... For some of you, that's not a big deal. But again, for people who regularly mess up, or for the person sitting here or maybe listening on the radio today, you're listening on the radio, I mean, you've got a checkered past. I mean, you've got a charge sheet down to the floor. Your sin list would be a novel gone with the wind. For those of us, I'm glad for grace. And you should be glad for grace if you think your sin list is short. Even if you think it's short. So Noah found grace for the eyes of the Lord. And, and then he describes just who Noah was. But it had nothing to do with God's acceptance of him. He was a just man. He was perfect in his generations. And he did walk with God. And then he had three sons. He's just talking about who Noah is. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 11. And now it's almost like, okay, one more time we're going to go over just how bad the world is. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God. And this may give us a little illustration about why it was so sorrowful to God. Look what it says. And the earth was filled with violence. So it wasn't just place sin. Men were turning on men and destroying each other. Filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. It was a bad situation. I know Sarah sometimes when she's talking. Uh, boy, she got mentioned twice. Be sure to let her know that, Judy. Okay, over in Korea. Okay, so, so here's, here's, Sarah will do this. And she'll be telling us, she's, don't tell her to listen to this message, okay? Okay. She's a drama queen. Okay? She's a drama queen. I mean, anybody knows Sarah knows this. Yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah, so, so she'll be telling a story. And, and we'll go, we'll agree with her. That's really bad. And she'll go, no, no, no. No, you don't understand. It was really bad. Okay, it was really bad. No, you really don't get it, Dad. You don't understand. It was really, really bad. Well, it's kind of like God's, you know, God's word said it's bad. And we say, okay, God, no, 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 you don't understand. It's really bad. No, you don't understand. It is really corrupt. It's really corrupt. And then we move in to verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them 
with the earth. And then he says something in verse 14. And what I want to do is, I want you to know what I'm doing. I'm sure books have been written about the typology of the ark and all its different features and bring that forward into the New Testament dealing with the cross. I'm going to bring a few of those, but not all of them. I encourage you, I'm sure you can Google and find a really good book on the typology of the ark and all of that. But he says, make yourself an ark. So judgment is coming on the earth. And it will be in the form of a great flood. And God tells Noah, who, by the way, I thought again, isn't this interesting? He wasn't a carpenter. As far as we know, he wasn't. And God gives him the biggest carpenter job in the world. How about that? Build yourself an ark. And an ark, the ark, is a typology of Christ. It's a beautiful picture of Christ. Because at the end of the story, only those who went into the ark were saved. And just like the Bible says, when we trust Jesus as Savior, we are in Christ. In Christ. So as Noah and the family went into the ark, they were protected and they were hidden by the ark. So we are hidden in Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, it says this, Much more then, since we have been declared righteous, I like that, been declared righteous by His blood, we will be saved through Him from wrath. So just like we were declared righteous and we were saved from wrath, so Noah was saved from the wrath of God's judgment in the flood. Verse 10. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been made right, reconciled, will we be saved by His life? So God says, I want you to build an ark. And it will be a great typology 2,000 years later, 4,000 years later, of the cross, the cross, and what Jesus did for us. Now, have you thought about something? To show you that God's not merciless, how long did it take to build the ark? Well, we think about 100 to 120 years. 100 to 120 years. And we have a scripture in 2 Peter 2.5. You want to write that down. 2 Peter 2.5 talks about Noah warn the people of coming judgment. So for 120 years, by his actions, Noah, in the process of building the ark, Noah preached through his actions. What are you doing, Noah? Building, a, building an ark. Why are you building an ark for, you crazy old man? Because judgment's coming. God's going to flood the earth. You want to know more about it? Nope, don't want to know a thing about that. You ain't got nothing I want to know about. 120 long years. He not only preached with his life, he preached with his mouth. There's judgment coming. There's judgment coming. There's judgment coming. I mean, God could have chosen to do this a lot of different ways, but he gave that generation 100 to 120 years of grace and mercy and opportunity. Because let me tell you something. If someone would have turned from their sin, they would have been in the ark too. They would have been in the ark too. It wasn't just knowing the family. It was anyone who was willing, and no one, no one else was willing. So the Bible goes on and says this. Make yourself an ark. Make it a gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. And here's one I want to grab a hold of. And cover it inside and outside with pitch. It, of course, was a black tar. And they would seal the inside and outside so that the wrath could not leak inside the ark. So the water could not leak into the ark. So the, so the judgment could not leak inside the ark. And oh my, listen to this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. This is what God did for us. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, don't hang on now, and believed in Him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Just like Noah put pitch on the outside and inside to keep the water out, so we individually, when we trust Jesus, are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. He goes on, listen to the last part, verse 14. Who is the guarantee, oh, I wish we had time to talk about this, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Hey, we are sealed to the day of redemption. We are sealed for all eternity. And then in verse 15, we see the abundance of the ark. Look at this. And this is how you should make it. The length of the ark 
shall be 300 cubits. Its width, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Now, we don't have cubits now. We don't do cubits now. So how long is a cubit? Well, generally speaking, it would be from your elbow. And, you know, I have to say generally speaking because obviously people have different lengths of elbows. But it would be from the elbow to the tip of your longest finger. Generally speaking, that's 18 to 20 inches. 18 to 20. And then they made the water more. Some cultures had a long cubit and a short cubit. But generally speaking, we go with 18 to 20 inches, the length of a man's elbow from here to the tip of his longest finger. Now, based on, I, I did my calculations on 20 inches, and a lot of people use 18 inches. So the bottom line is this. So the ark would have been about 450 to 500 feet long. That's a football field and a half or two-thirds more. So go down Taylor Field, walk it off, then add a half or two-thirds more, and that's how long the ark was. Then it was going to be um, 75 to 83, 83 feet wide. 75 to 83 feet wide. And then about 45 to 50 feet tall. Now, Patty, if you'll call up those two pictures, let's get one up here. We don't know what it looked like. But I, I like, actually, I like this one better than the one that I'm going to show you in a moment in Kentucky. But this one, you know, the, we have a tendency when we have a boat to put a bow on it. But the bottom line is the ark was a floating cork. It wasn't made to sail. It was made to float. And I like the fact that this rendition, it's like a box. It's like a box, okay? But it shows the immensity of the size. I'll go ahead and throw that next picture up. This is the one they built in Kentucky. You can go see this today. It's called uh, the Ark Project, uh, the Creation Project. So you can go today and see that right now. In fact, you and I will definitely go. And some of you have been, amen? Some of y'all been? Yeah, yeah. So that just it gives you an idea of the immensity of how big this was. Now, what's the importance of that for us? God's grace is immense. God's grace is abundant. God's grace is bigger than our sin. Listen to this. Listen to this. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. In other words, the job of the law was to show our sin to us. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. As sin increased, grace abounded more and more. And let me look you in the face and tell you this. You need to know this. No matter how great your sin debt, God's grace is sufficient. You need to know that. Listen, religion can't claim that. I don't care if it's Baptist or Muslim. It, it can't happen. It won't happen. But God's grace is sufficient. No matter how big your sin debt, God's grace is sufficient. And then he goes on and says, okay, now, now you need to make a, a window for the ark. And I like this because really it was kind of like an opening all the way around. Because you've got to understand, one, it stunk, okay? Um, it stunk and it needed a lot of air. So it wasn't just like one small window. It, both, those, both of those show probably a, some kind of a slit under an overhang to where the odor could get out and air could get in. Okay? I mean, you understand something. The ark is very doable. I mean, it's not like we built the, the uh, Starship Enterprise. Okay? We look at that with warp speed and you go, that ain't happening. But the ark was very doable, even in technology of that day. Okay? So don't blow off the ark because, well, it just couldn't happen. It could happen, and it did happen. And it did happen. All right? So, so you shall finish it to the window to a cubit from above and set the door in the side of the ark. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Set the door. How many arcs, how many doors were there on the ark? One. How many ways to heaven is there? One. Isn't that a beautiful typology? Isn't it beautiful? In fact, Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Over, over in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, he talks about the fact, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. So that door, just like there's one way into the ark, and if you're going to get into the ark, you had to go through that door. So there's one way to heaven. There's one way for our sins to be forgiven. 
There's one way into relationship with God, and it is through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's by grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. He goes on, verse 5 and verse 17. He says, And behold, I myself, God. See, can I just remind you of something? Judgment belongs to God. Judgment belongs to God, not us. Not us. I still think it's funny. We want to judge a lost world for their sin and let ours slide. Has that ever struck you as funny? We are much more judgmental of a lost world than we are sin in the church. I mean, if you bring an untrained dog in your house, he's going to poop on the floor. Okay? Don't get mad. He's just doing what dogs, untrained dogs do. The world is acting like lost people. And the only answer for that is God's grace. We want to imply our rules on them, and they can't keep the rules because they haven't experienced God's grace. Don't judge the world. If you want to judge, I guess judge us. But don't judge the world. Don't judge. So, so he says, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which there is breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But then he says this, I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark. Remember, it's a typology of Christ. You shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your wives, your sons' wives with you. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Can you imagine how foolish that seemed? Can you imagine how foolish it was to the world as they watched this old man start building this huge contraption? Think how foolish he looked. Hey, throw up that quote from Jim Elliot. Listen, I'll read it. I don't know if you, I hope you can see it. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That was true in Noah's day and is true in our day. No matter what God asks you to give up to follow Him, it's worth it. I know, I know, I know. For 120 years, and people lived a long time then, so a lot of them saw the beginning and the end. For 120 years, they made fun of Noah. But when the rain started, some they'd never seen before. When the earth broke open, some they'd never seen before. I wonder what they thought. I wonder if it seemed foolish then. And today, God has put you here, and maybe on the radio, we're still on for about another minute. Now, maybe, maybe God puts you here to give you the opportunity. And maybe, in today's culture, you've always thought God is foolish, that God doesn't exist, the gospel isn't true, Jesus does not exist, all that seemed foolish. But maybe today, through this message, it made a little bit of sense. And maybe, just maybe, as you grow older and older and older, and you realize, what is the next step? What is the next step? What happens after this quits? What happens when the breath stops? Now's the time to prepare for that. And you don't do it by saying, okay, I'll, I'll be better. I'll be better. I'll be better. I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going to start. I'm going to quit. I'm going to start. No. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, here's the key word, here's the operative word, believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, now what that means is this. It means that you believe what God says about you, that every person has sinned and comes short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one, just like we were at the beginning. We believe what God says about us. We believe what God said about Jesus, that he was a sacrifice for our sins, and that if we believe in him, God will forgive our sins. And then we choose to turn from ourselves and follow Jesus. That's it. That's it. It's that simple and that real. It's that simple and it's that real. And we won't give you that chance today. We won't give you that chance today.
Today, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and I know that's a religious term. I know it is. I know it is. But I wrestle sometimes to put in terminology that, that you could grasp a hold of and make sure you get. I'm not talking about you need to start going to church. I'm not talking about you need to join a church. I'm talking about believe what God said about you, that you've sinned. Because you've sinned, you're separated from God. But because Jesus died for your sins, if you believe in Jesus, God will forgive your sins if you choose to follow him. Now, what about those of us who have done this? i, I got three quick things here I want you to remember. This is for those of us who know Jesus already. One is, you know, God chose Noah because of grace and not performance. You'll be so miserable in your Christian faith if you try to perform your way in front of God. You'll be miserable. Quit trying to perform and enjoy God's grace. Dwayne, shall, shall I serve him? Absolutely. Shall I work? Absolutely. Just not for his acceptance. Because you love him. Because you love him. So God chose Noah because of grace and not performance. Two, the Ark of the Cross is still available today. The greatest love story is that. The greatest love story. If you ever want to know, does God love me? Does God love me? Does God love me? That says he does. No matter what your circumstances says, that says he does. And lastly, mom and dad, listen up. Just like Noah's greatest responsibility was to make sure his family got on the ark, Mom and Dad, Grandma and Grandpa, your greatest responsibility is to make sure those you love get on the ark, to know Jesus as Savior. Your greatest responsibility. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Lot. Remember him? He lived in a very bad place, and God was going to bring judgment in that situation too. He went and told his family. He told his son-in-laws, actually his future son-in-laws, he said, hey, God's going to bring judgment. You know what they did? They laughed at him. Apparently, Lot's testimony wasn't worth a whole lot. And they didn't want anything to do with his God. Mom and Dad, you've got to live Jesus so your kids can see Jesus. And so they'll want what you got. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Now, Father, I know that's a lot of information. I know that it is. And I can only pray, Father, that you'll take this. Holy Spirit, take this. And one, speak to the hearts of folks who may have never trusted you as personal Savior. Oh, may today be the day that they finally realize that they've sinned against you and that you love them and that you've made a way for them to be forgiven. I pray for that. I pray for all of us to learn to enjoy grace. May we enjoy the grace that you've given us. And I pray for the moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that we'll live in such a way that our family would be drawn and our friends and those close to us would be drawn into your kingdom. Now, Holy Spirit, this is your time. Only you can draw folks. No preacher can. I pray you'll speak to hearts of people. And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.